Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Australia's leading social justice law firm, have been fighting for your rights for nearly 100 years because they believe that fairness is a universal right, not just reserved for the chosen few. They know if one person denies the right to be safe, to be free, to be heard, or to be equal, everyone else's rights are at risk too. And that includes you. So whether it's returning stolen land, protecting new mums at work, or demanding equality, Morris Blackburn Lawyers helps shine a light on everyday injustices because who knows when your rights might be affected. Little song about a man called Guff and a little boy who wanted to be tarred with the same brush. He learned Latin, held his head up high, and he hated the liberals, though he didn't know. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Pod on the Hill. My name is Conrad French, and I'm the digital director here at Victorian Labor. This week, our guest on Pod on the Hill is Tien Q. Tien was elected at the state election last year uh, for the Southeast Metropolitan Region. Welcome, Tien. Uh, thank you, uh, Conrad, and uh, hello, warm welcome to uh, the, on the listeners. Wonderful to have you here on Pot on the Hill this week. Now, we have a f- we've had a few politicians uh, come through Pot on the Hill, and obviously we'll get to some of the politics questions with you later, but for our listeners, I think it'd be a fascinating way to start. Now, you're a professor in quantum mechanics. Now, quantum mechanics is one of those ethereal subjects that most people don't even try to pretend to understand. For our listeners, so a very layman's explanation, what is the field of quantum mechanics? Uh, you are absolutely correct there. Quantum <laughs> mechanics is uh, very um, abstract and not even the practitioner uh, cannot claim that they understand it. Uh, but it works. Um, the idea is um, we have been living in a classical, so-called classical world, uh, world and uh, then came along the quantum mechanics in the 1930s, tried to explain the phenomena of the very small uh, particles, subatomics, and even smaller. And um, we have certain rules, and we apply that rules, and it works. And that, hence now we have laser, we have transistor, and uh, a lot of things around Earth uh, actually uh, due to the uh, rule or laws of quantum mechanics. Um, it's it's is um, just a very layman explanation. Is uh, just a set of rules, and uh, we don't fully understand that. But um, it works. And secondly, is also have very strange phenomena and uh, consequences. And uh, we uh, uh, sometimes is very contradictory and very puzzling. For example, uh, they one of the things that uh, very uh, this foundation of quantum mechanics is so-called the entanglement. You have two things interact together at one stage and then separate them at one each at the end of the universe, at different ends, and they still somehow uh, knows about each other. Right. So, I mean, that's it's a pretty good explanation. I can sort of grasp that. that there's a set of rules that explain a whole bunch of stuff, but we don't actually understand why the rules work. Exactly. Right. And it's still very puzzling and people are now still working on the very foundation of quantum mechanics and uh, has been for the last uh, century or so. Yeah. Now, how long have you been working in the field? Oh, um, since my undergraduate days. So, that's uh, uh, in the 80s. So, well, 84. So, until now, uh, 30 years, yeah. 30 years plus. Okay. Yeah. So, you've obviously, it's obviously a very large large film. We won't get into all of the stuff that you've studied over the past 30 years. We could do a whole series of podcasts on that. What I want to know, though, is what is the thing that you you were most recently sort of grappling with? Yes, uh, 
my most uh, recent interests um, uh, in quantum mechanics or the application of that is the so-called quantum computing. So our computers, the one on your desk, uh, is actually a marvel. Uh, has been um, developed over the years and have given us the strength and the um, prediction and all the, all the things that we deal with every day. But those classical computing, so-called classical, uh, actually um, is not uh, the most powerful thing and people thinking and talking and a lot of money been put into the so-called quantum computation. One of the driving force uh, for the quantum computation is uh, with a quantum computer which hasn't been built yet, uh, not to a big uh, extent, but there's some prototype, a very small prototype in the labs, is that uh, we can then use that to break the encryption. Encryption is very important, it's treated as weapon. Uh, right. Because every day we do the banking, military application, financial, and every other thing. And with the present day encryption, uh, in order to break a quite reasonable strength uh, encryption it would take um, 100 years with the normal computers and uh, people in the not very long ago about 20 years ago a mathematician published a paper say that if we can do have access to uh, quantum computers 100 years can be reduced to in matter of hours right so that's why a lot of people putting into money into that and particularly started out with the u.s and now china and even in australia we have a very good um group of researchers working on that uh, on the hardware as well as the theory and the software i myself uh, have been recently published uh, three papers on on that area uh, uh, before that but just recently uh, about a few weeks ago and people surprised and asked well, how could i find the time being an mp and publishing <laughs> at the same time uh, the secret was uh, actually those paper was finished just before the uh, election in November last year, right? And it took a while for the refereeing processes to uh, uh, to go, to go through, and uh, now been published. So um, the thing I'm working on is mostly theory and mathematical as well, and it has been uh, on some of these uh, algorithm uh, try to uh, break or try to apply to indirectly to encryption. Uh, and the other one is some of the very difficult problems that we can we can solve with the classical computer, but it takes too much effort. So I just uh, uh, ramped up and also uh, devised some of the algorithm, and uh, which may be because it hasn't been realized on on the physical hardware, uh, maybe. Uh, of um, interest uh, for the future. Yeah. So if you think, of, I, I guess then it's sort of like something like going from say sailing ships to sort of not even like probably beyond coal like sort of a nuclear powered uh, 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 submarines for example that's the difference in speed you're talking about isn't it it mm-hmm. took us this it took us literally months to get from england to australia on a sailing boat it now takes us a, a 10, 12, 20 hours to get there on an, on an airplane doesn't it yes so that's that, the kind of thing we're talking that's about that's the kind of it? thing but also the other thing is very different in the um, fundamentals as well uh, for example, the, the computer we're dealing now, when we break everything down, it comes down to uh, bits, zero and one. And uh, for quantum computation, we can have anything between zero and one. So that's ah, the, co- the so-called okay. quantum bits yep. and uh, shortened into qubits. And actually, um, when I was at the university, um, I um, have a um, private... Uh, personal license plate qubits. And people <laughs> <laughs> at the university very, co- very 
amused with that. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I mean, really, I mean, the, the difference between zero and one is infinite when you break it down, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. So that, that uh, people still don't understand fully, but uh, I think that um, uh, the, f- uh, the strength, uh, that what gives quantum computation uh, the, the strength. Uh, but uh, even though we don't understand, but we have the rule, we apply to that, and we, uh, with our imagination and creativity, we can then just devise something and some of them have been uh, implemented, uh, algorithms been implemented some of the labs in the world. Um, for example, now in, in our computer, we talk about gigabit, uh, so billion, billion of bits. And the best quantum computer in uh, Austria or in the US, uh, I- even in Sydney, um, uh, uh, we're talking about 30 qubits, very small. Uh, right. So, yeah, so <laughs> it, it's a long way to go. And uh, but everything have to start from somewhere. That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, that's I mean, that's a f- fascinating first ten minutes of the podcast. Like as I said, I could could go on and pick your brain about this for for hours, but we won't do that. Um, let, let's go to your story and sort of your arrival in Australia. I guess you were born in Saigon in South Vietnam in 1961. 1960. 1960. All right. Okay. Don't want to pinch a year <laughs> off here. 1960. Uh, just as the war in Vietnam was really starting to escalate. What are your recollections on living through the war and then the aftermath after the U.S. withdrawal? Yes, I, I was a child um, growing up in, uh, during the war. Both of my parents uh, were in the army. Uh, for a woman in Vietnam during the war, it wasn't compulsory, but my mother um, volunteered her service. And uh, she joined the paratroop uh, division when she was uh, younger, and actually that's where she met my father. Yeah. And they uh, got married, and I w- I was the first child. Uh, because of her and uh, my father's commitment, uh, I have been uh, living at different places for some time. Um, some of the mission that uh, my parents have to uh, have to do. Um, so. I have been to some of the countryside, uh, even though I was born in Saigon, which, is, which was a big city. It's not as big as it is now, but uh, it it, uh, it it fairly big at the time. And uh, so I've been uh, to the countryside. I've been living with the uh, families of the soldiers in some of the compound. And um, particularly in 1968, um, w- with the famous Tet Offensive, uh, the war broke out uh, right in the uh, in Saigon. And I have witnessed uh, so many, um, so many uh, sad and uh, um, so many people killed. I, I have seen the bodies. Um, and you were what, eight years old at that eight stage. Eight years at that time. Um, so throughout my my childhood, um, actually get used to uh, uh, all the sounds of the bombardments or the sound of the cannons going on. Uh, so and also my fa- uh, my father was away, my mother was away quite often, so I didn't have much of uh, a feed for my f- my mother, and uh, I, I I grew up mostly with uh, condensed uh, sweetened milk. Right. Uh, actually bought from the uh, army supplies, and uh, also uh, almost every night I I can still vividly remember. Um, I went to bed with on the sound of the bombardment and on on the on the sounds rather than the lullaby that I I, I gone through. Right, and yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in country Victoria, and the loudest thing I had to put up was was cicadas. That's mm-hmm. that would be that would be a, a, a very strange way to to live your early life. Yeah. So I guess then, sort of after with after the U.S. withdrawal, oh yes, there was. I mean, obviously, got. I mean, 
the the North Vietnamese moved in. What was what are your recollections of those of that period of time? It was a very frightening time for me and also for my family. Um, both of my parents actually came from the north of Vietnam uh, when the country was divided 1954 into North and South Vietnam, uh, communists and non-communists. So they had lived uh, and experienced the communists and the way they purged the people, not, not just uh, the people in the army, but the normal people and the people who own land uh, because it was reason, uh, which is I, I do not agree with that, in order to own lands, you have to be exploiting people, and so that is a, that was a crime. Right. So, so there was the land reform, and uh, thousand, hundred thousand people get killed or get affected, and so they went south, and that's why my mother enlisted uh, in the uh, paratroop division uh, on her uh, own, and um, so when the war was coming to an end in 1975, it didn't come immediately. Uh, after the American withdrew uh, in about 73 and they uh, said something about Vietnamization of the war, which means that they transfer all the weapons and all the uh, bases to the Vietnamese uh, South Army. Uh, the problem was uh, the equipment or the planes or the tanks may be there, but the supply were not there, uh, including ammunition. So. Uh, that's and also there was some agreement uh, signed mostly by the American and the North Vietnam at the time with the, some participation of the South, but it wasn't a, a very strong voice at the at the table. Um, so it's not surprising well, with hindsight, people have fought a very uh, uh, gallant uh, way, try to keep the freedom in the South, but then eventually, uh, about March, um, the uh, then that's when the war was coming to a uh, inevitable end because um, all the forces in the north coming very, even though um, there was an agreement in Paris, this Paris agreement, there's no invasion, but then the north came in, in very big forces. Um, and um, we lost a bit by bit from the central Vietnam and eventually the fall of Saigon was on the 30th of April, this is coming this month. And for many people overseas, about a million uh, plus Vietnamese overseas uh, living Vietnam after the war, including myself as a boat person, uh, we consider this month as a Black April month. Yep. Yeah. And uh, when the so it's very frightening. A lot of uh, things happened. Uh, when they came over, they took over on the 30th of April, uh, rounded up the people, asked people to bring food for three days and turned out to be 13 years in many cases in yeah. um, the so-called re-education camp, but just like a, a concentration camp in a way. Yep. A lot of people get killed. A lot of people uh, uh, stay there for long times, including uh, my, my family, uh, my, my uncle who is um, still survived, but uh, who is the brother of my, my mother. And, um, and also books being burned, uh, people, rounded up and indoctrinated particularly for the children and so it was very confusing very chaotic very uh, frightening and also uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a thing that um, it's it's so uh, cruel in a way that things were happening then and um, then the people started uh, leaving the country by whatever means they could 
uh, including my family and also we tried so many times uh, and in the end only in the end that we succeeded not with the home family but only um, in, in, in smaller group of the families uh, for the journey uh, no one know for sure but the estimates from the United uh, High Commissioner for Refugee in the United Nations um, estimate were about half a million people get killed on the way out of Vietnam but mostly at seas some people uh, took the other route uh, to Cambodia and to Thailand but most people because Vietnam has very long coastline yeah and a lot of people took off and uh, ill prepare uh, the boat leaky no food no fuel and no experience in going seas going and um, piracy and weather and many other things that a lot of people get killed and uh, many many uh, horrendous horrendous story as well people get captured by the pirates put on island and they came back at night time to hunt out the woman and rape and some woman been sold to prostitution bracket in uh, in bangkok and one particularly australian journalist at the time tried to report that and he was deported uh, from thailand never to come back right yeah, so many story uh, it's very horrendous time um yeah it's it's a, it's a it's a as you say horrifying it's a horrific and i couldn't imagine possibly having to go through something like that um and you i mean you've touched on my next question about i mean the, the attempts you made a number of attempts to, to leave didn't you it was yeah like, yeah but how many how many times did you try and uh i um it's about five or six at least and some of them i've been kept promising myself that um i i I should write it up, but uh, I haven't got the time yet. Uh, and also, I, I think I needed a time in between so that I, I if I write it down, it won't be hatred, but more of a um, a, a distance view and a, a truthful view. Um, we tried many times, um, as I mentioned, because my parents knew what the communists would do in the North and what they would exactly repeat the same thing in Vietnam in 75, in the South. Uh, so we tried many times and um, on fail, I uh, just try to, to one example, uh, twice, not just once, but twice. Um, we uh, took my parents, uh, my father, and my uncle's another uncle, who wasn't in prison at the time, but uh, another uncle. Uh, uh, we bought a, um, a tanker, which is just like a fuel tanker that we have a Elisoito tank at the back. It's not as big as the one here. Yep. It's maybe only I don't know ten meters long and right. two meters uh, in 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 height. Uh, the idea was to drive the whole tanker into the seas, and uh, we unbolt the the, uh, the tank itself. And in Saigon, uh, the tank has three sections. The front section we put the user on as fuel. The middle section we put wooden plank across so people can sit on that and the last section we put on a propeller uh, and we machine thing inside God in secret and I and my father were in that tanker and my uncle uh, was uh, with my other family's member about 30 all together on another uh, coach it's the best old coach yeah. um, and then we drove up on different routes and met up at a point in central Vietnam that's where the mountain runs into the sea so quite steep so the idea that and then we did that twice the first time 
uh, we there, and then we only put the the propeller and the engine at last minute. So right. we prop, uh, we machine only uh, necessary um, openings and so on. And the first time we then uh, it was naive in a way. Um, <laughs> the propeller was on only a water pump, and so we decided right. it's not would no. work. So we then came back. The second time, we did the same thing. We met there, and this time we took the engine, the coach engine. It's about the size or half the size of your desk at the moment. And in darkness, we hosted the whole thing to a small opening of the last chamber of the tank, put it in, put propeller in. And to stabilize it, we put two of the big rum on the two sides of the uh, tank so that it won't flip over. And Holy. Yes. <laughs> and uh, my uncle and I were in the cabin. And what we did was try to drive the tanker as far as possible underwater. So we took up the uh, the hood of the engine, and we put a pipe just like elephant uh, trunk into the carburetor, and it went all over over the, the top of the uh, of the cabin. And we took uh, he took uh, a door on the driver's uh, seat so that he could escape later and join the tank when the tank floated. We did it. Uh, it was a very ter- terrifying uh, time for us as well, for particularly for a young, young, young boy like like myself at the uh, time. How old were you at that point? Uh, 17, yeah. 17, 18, 17. Um, and we get stuck. It's just a long story. So yeah, make, no, ma- this ma- is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So make it short because I was quite a good swimmer and I, I was a captain uh, for swimming team at the high school at the time. So we uh, so we met up. We we put everything in place, the engine, everything, and then he took me down, my uncle, and asked me to map out a route from the highway. His highway is is very small, one lane each, and it's very rocky um, beach. Uh, so to mark out a um, a route for the uh, tanker to go down, and it was naive. I, I came out and quite steep, as I mentioned. And after a while, I couldn't, I couldn't do any marking. Like, how, how can you mark the, the uh, under the water? Yeah. And um, and I nearly, I, th- I thought I nearly died there because after a while, I don't know how long, 10, 20 minutes, I, I couldn't, I couldn't know where I was. I couldn't find where the beach was, where the seas were. So <sighs> it, it just on the water all over me. And um, I- eventually, uh, I, I had to make a decision and, sw- and swam. And then I ended up at the beach but about a kilometer from where I started because oh. it, it's in the dark. Uh, that, that, that was the intention, no moon, no, nothing. And it's no city around that yeah. uh, stretch of uh, highway. So like that's totally, totally dark. Like, like in the dark, that's that's proper dark. That's not you're sitting in a city and it's dark. It's proper, proper out in a jungle totally dark. dark. Yeah, and also the water. No over the, yes. And the water. Oh, yeah. that would be just... And then I asked him the, um, the question about what happened if we get stuck in the sand and he told me, oh... It's a uh, ten wheel ride. It's tank a lot of wheels. Nothing happened, and of course it's stuck in the sand. Oh. We came down, and we dig it out. We and then we we managed to go another few meters, and then get stuck again. And we tried to dig the sand out, and then the the tide came in, and that's the end. I mean, you ha- and you that was that was the end of that. That was. And so we loaded the people, including my grandmother, who was about seventy, nearly eighty at the time, back onto the highway. And be- being a coach driver, my uncle then able to his friend and stop on the coach and load it on the people and he stay behind. I think the tanker is t- still now. At one stage, <laughs> uh, I was told that it was uh, I- uh, on exhibition. Right. I don't know what happened to it now yeah. because the rice, the uh, water, yeah. and the engine 
and so obvious and the whole tank was unbolted and, <laughs> and also on the two sides um there are two big um rums so right. uh we didn't get caught at that time but um it, but it was a memorable and and um, I, I have to write that yeah, you certainly do have to write that down oh we could go through all of yours uh, and then in the end um we split the family up i mean yeah uh, yeah and um i managed uh, to get on the boat uh, from it's another story the yeah. boat actually by that time in 1980 um on the boat's been taken uh, whatever left we've been uh, con- under the control of the government and the boat was actually hijacked by another group not not by myself yeah. i was young at the time and then we, we came on the boat it's five days and five nights and we got attacked by pirate twice uh, we were aiming for Singapore, but b- after the attack, we ended up in Malaysia. So I ended up in Malaysian camp, and I volunteer my little bit of English at the time. So I volunteer my service as the representative uh, of the 108 people on the 13 meter long one tree. 108 people on a 13 meter boat. 108 on 13 meter long is about four meter wide. It's a wooden boat, and we had the sail as well. Um, now my maths aren't great, but what's the, the thirteen? That's fifty-two meter square meter boat with one hundred eight people on it. Yes, yes, and 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 we sat uh, crammed together, just like sardine in a way. But and also we, after the first day, people could not eat because most people never been at sea before. But the water was very um, scarce at the time, and and I myself get about two uh, capful of water per day. Um, and pirates attack. So, very fortunately, um, some of the people who left the country, they would, as you understand, attack as much as they could. And most of, uh, uh, some of them had some gold with them. And the, the pirate attacked twice and took the gold. But they, because it was so close to Malaysian land, we could see the, the, the beach or, or the land yeah. as a fan line in the horizon. So, they, they did not do anything to the woman. Right. And they let us go, and uh, we then we just uh, go direct uh, went directly to to the land because we we so frightened at the time, and that's how the refugee came, and um, then uh, we were transferred to a refugee camp on an island called Pulau Bidong. Uh, Pulau means an island. Bidong is the name of the island. The island was a uh, an isolated island, un un uh, inhabited. And at the peak, uh, around 50,000 people on this small island. By the time I arrived, about 20, 20 or 30,000. And very lucky, um, there was an Australian delegation uh, traveling from camp to camps in the southeast, <coughs> either <coughs> to um, um, to get the people being sponsored to come to Australia by relatives right, here. Yep. In my case, it was a humanitarian um, ground because I, I did not have any relatives. And in the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugee file, I put down that I would go anywhere, any country take me, I would go. Yep. And the Australian interviewed me, and I was the first two or four people of the boat left the island. Um, very lucky, and I uh, then they I was given passage to Brisbane in 1980. Yep. Well, I w- again, we could go on with this chapter <laughs> for hours and have a podcast of our own just on this but we do need to move on um you've mentioned you've arrived in brisbane uh in 1980 uh at the age of 19 yes what was your next move oh uh, no no, rel- no family 
no belongings. Here yep. you are in Brisbane in a foreign country where you speak a little bit of the language. What what do you do next? Well, actually, I was in debt because when uh, leaving the camp, I borrowed from uh, $100 from a, 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 a friend there who I met at the camp. Um, so arriving in Brisbane, um, I stay in a hostel first for about a month or so, and then I went to work for a asbestos company in Brisbane. Um, still worrying now. I don't know whether because certain type of disease would yep. take years to, to develop. Um, so I, I went and uh, worked there and it was hard, but I appreciate the chance uh, given to us. So we work uh, shift and the shift is actually rotating. So one day, uh, one week, seven to three, next week three to 11, the week after 11 to seven and they screw up the biological yeah. clock, of course. So about, I don't know, I can't remember now, about five months or six months, and then I, as a uh, naivete of, of, a, um, of a young man, I came knock, door, knock on the door of the dean of uh, science faculty of Brisbane, uh, Queensland University, yep. and asked her would like to come into second year because um, I did a bit of uh, first uh, university in Vietnam, first year. I said, okay, if you uh, want to do it, give you some exam. So they gave me the time so the rotating shift and my wife was uh, hospitalized at the time. Uh, we, uh, I, uh, my, my wife since then now we've been 39 years together. Yep. And um, then uh, they gave me six papers uh, and um, took two days to finish that. And uh, I mean, in, in the exam room, it's yep. not, not take home exam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I never know the result of the papers, but I got straight into second year and right. then I, I went to do um, honors and get uh, university gold medal and then scholarship to Edinburgh to PhD finished. That's why I uh, seriously <coughs> work on quantum mechanics and quantum field theory. And then uh, to cut long story short, <laughs> and afterwards <laughs> I got a chance uh, to go to Oxford three years, and afterward I went back to Australia. But this time to Melbourne the first time, Melbourne yep. Uni. After that, CSIRO, and then Swinburne, and a few other things. Amazing, yeah. As I said, the quantum physics is so far beyond most of us. Yet you were there mm -hmm. doing working in an asbestos <laughs> company while studying at the same time, and then you find yourself in Edinburgh doing quantum mechanics. You've, obviously, we've touched on your, your academic, academic career and, and it's been an incredible career. What then made you decide to run for the Victorian State Parliament and also why did you choose the Labor Party? Yes, I have always uh, been involving from the very first day. Uh, even at the camp, as I mentioned, I, I represented the home boat because it was a unit, was a boat. Because arriving one boat was about 30 people, my boat 108 people. So for the paperwork, uh, do some volunteer interpretation, uh, interpreting, and and the food uh, ration, uh, rationing as well. Um, so I've been involving in in community, and when I was Edinburgh, and even Uni Queensland, and when I came back to Australia in Melbourne, I also founded uh, a Vietnamese television program for 21 years. Uh, it's entirely volunteer, broadcast twice a week on Channel 31 and then a radio program. So I have been involved in community work and it's just a way that uh, just to, uh, in a way, repay the debt and also to help the people, particularly the ones in the community that I know the needs and, and the challenges that, they, that, that we have. Um, so Labour Party, uh, first of all, so I, I think this stage of my life, I could uh, contribute on a different platform and it has been not, not just something totally new in the way that my community and volunteer work. 
the Labour parties I feel identify with uh, some of the policies and also the values and uh, that is very uh, a very easy decision for me to to go with the Labour Party and then the opportunity came so that I, I took the chance and uh, it wasn't a as you would say a safe seat or so but um, if we don't take it the chance then we never know yeah, yeah. another leap forward you, you sort of gone from it's the so many things you've done in in, in a relatively short time mm-hmm. um and now you're in, in the victorian parliament and so i guess the next question is it's more about sort of now you're in parliament and it's gonna be a, it's a sort of a strange one what's the strangest thing that you found about being an mp wow um there are many surprises uh in in parliament i'm still learning there are a lot of things to learn uh, particularly um about it's a totally different feel for me from from my background um i enjoy it uh, uh working very hard and um strange i'm not quite sure what's strange because i've been to some of the boards well, before maybe, maybe, maybe unexpected uh, unexpected i i would say one of the big surprise was my in oral speech i was try to to tell a story and knowing many other stories of the people uh, that i uh, been with um i think my story was um ordinary in a way and and very grateful and thankful and the 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 reception was uh overwhelmingly uh on facebook nearly two hundred thousand people view uh, the video shortened video the full speech videos and then so on so i'm i'm very uh, thankful and surprised by that and it also put uh the honors on me to uh to uh to, to do something and and i and i'm have been trying to do that because at this stage of my life, and um, I, 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 uh, I have to, uh, uh, to do something that I could do on my capacity to, to, to help and to repay my debt. It's fantastic and, and a fantastic uh, story to where you are, and, and we look forward to where you go next. Now, now in the in the Victorian Parliament, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, substantial questions. Tien, um, I'm now going to put to you the fast money round questions. These are straight up. <laughs> go easy on me. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. we'll, we'll, I'll go easy on you. What? It's straight away. What's come to your head? And yeah, what's the last book you read? Uh, actually, uh, the Silent Invasion. And what was that about? By Clive Hamilton. It talks about uh, a power, namely China, and uh, the silent, namely the invasion, not by force, uh, armed forces, but some other means. Just uh, read it out of curiosity, but also just try to understand the present day and modern day politics, particularly with the uh, uh, different arrangement in the world order now. Okay. Uh, which actor would, you, would play you in a film based on your life? Uh, he may not be able to, uh, the guy with the same hair, um, <laughs> uh, in uh, Pretty Woman, Richard Gere? Richard Gere, her same hair. <laughs> I don't think he would take one up. <laughs> he may be my same age. <laughs> um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, I like Star Trek. Uh, that's my problem when I was younger. Uh, I have a long hair now, but uh, if I take the hair up, I will see my ears very big. <laughs> and uh, throughout my childhood, I've been called Mr. Spock. Right. Uh, best martial arts film you've seen? Bruce Lee has to be. Bruce Lee? Yeah. Yep. And uh, which, which film in particular? Uh, big Boss. Big Boss. Yep. Uh, recommend that for all our listeners out there. Uh, Nutella or Vegemite? Uh, Nutella, I would say. Vegemite is something I still have to get used to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
best or best and worst of the Karate Kid films? The first one, the best. Uh, later on, a bit diluted a little bit. So, uh, and so the the last one is a little bit of repeating. Yeah, uh, the remake. So the remake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was really it's a pretty obvious one, but nonetheless. Yeah. Um, soft drink choice at the sausage sizzle when Coke has run out. Fanta or Sprite. Less Sprite has a lighter taste. Right. Very good. That brings us to the end of the Fast Money questions. You've done very well Thank there, you. Tien. Now, to, to now to the hardest question of the podcast every week. What song have you chosen to end this week's episode and why? I, I have a few songs, but I particularly uh, like uh, the song uh, Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. Um, it was so touching for me. First time I ever heard that and I... It's just, uh, I think, due to my uh, sense of justice for the social justice. So, uh, and also, I've been through the world. I've seen the people in poor, and I've seen the people in poverty, and seen the people in hardship. I've seen the people being oppressed, and so. And also, the other hand, I came to Australia, and um, I traveled the world due to my academic um, commitments. So I, I see the contrast. So that song means a lot to me. 